Welcome to Episode 7 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? fans and welcome to episode seven of the jedi temple archives podcast this is rob your host and we are recording today on monday april 22nd of 2019 Uh, i'm joined once again by my co-host tom who is one of the hosts of the hyperion adventures podcast and i know that we've mentioned that numerous times on this show before and uh, i think tommy you may be a little distracted today it sounds like you got some good news uh, regarding star wars galaxy's edge very exciting news we have our reservations we'll be there opening weekend in disneyland resort i'm very very excited about that well we're all gonna have to live vicariously through you (laughs) it's gonna be a little later in the year before i can make it out there so uh, i'm looking forward to hearing all about it once you get a chance to experience that and we will be getting done with it wrapping it up and heading right into the studio to record our podcast and tell you all about it we're looking we're really excited about that very much so I'm going to be very impressed if you can keep a train of thought going. I'm going to I'm going to have to believe that that's going to be a pretty exciting day. It will be. And if I ever keep a train of thought going, that's uh, <laughs> that's something to be said because I have all sorts of trouble with that. Uh, well, welcome to the welcome to the party. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So for this episode, uh, I think what we're going to do is we're going to jump into the Jedi Temple archives and we're going to take a look into the background of Sheev Palpatine, who was the Chancellor of the Republic and eventually became the Emperor of the First Galactic Empire and uh, was also known by his Sith name of Darth Sidious. So uh, many of you are going to be familiar with him from mainly from the movies, uh, but there is a lot more to Sheev Palpatine and uh, Darth Sidious, for that matter, uh, that kind of comes out through other mediums, uh, the comics, books, and uh, some of this information is actually going to come from some of the legend stories, some of the stuff from the expanded universe. Uh, but in lieu of them having really released a ton of new uh, material that's considered canon, uh, we're still going to touch on that. And the primary reason I want to do that is because what you'll find as you kind of look at those le- uh, legend stories is that they tend to try to keep the best parts of that and bring that back in as canon. And with the the news that kind of came out with the teaser trailer that was released for The Rise of Skywalker – uh, and the the hint that Palpatine may be appearing in some way, shape, or form in that film, I think this is going to be kind of a perfect time to take a look at him and see how he may actually be returning in that film. So without further ado, Tom, I think if you're ready, we'll go ahead and dive right in. Let's do it. He's a great character. I'm looking forward to getting into this. He is. So prior to the events of The Phantom Menace, there's some information really to kind of point out regarding Sheev Palpatine. Uh, he was born to a wealthy and influential family uh, on Naboo, and at the time of the Battle of Yavin, which is kind of how everything is gauged within the Star Wars universe, he was approximately 84 years old. So he was born 84 years prior to the Battle of Yavin. 
at some point during his teenage years, it's believed that he met and ultimately came, became the Sith apprentice to Darth Plagueis, uh, who he mentioned in Revenge of the Sith as he was unveiling the fact that Plagueis had discovered the secret to extending and even creating life via his uh, manipulation of the midichlorians. And uh, when he became Darth Plagueis's apprentice, obviously, he, at that point, he was given the, the name of Darth Sidious. Later, with the aid of Darth Plagueis, uh, he became involved in, in politics and was eventually appointed the representative of the planet of Naboo, which is kind of where we find him at the beginning of the Phantom Menace. And at that point, he began serving on the Galactic Senate in that capacity. Also, uh, in his role as the apprentice to Plagueis, uh, Palpatine certainly was aware of the fact that, you know, he had discovered the secret to prolonging life um, and potentially even the ability to create it. Uh, but he did later admit that uh, he was unable to learn the secret to doing so. And uh, we're kind of led to believe via the films that, that that's something that he had never achieved. Although I think there's now some questions, certainly, as I mentioned before, with that trailer uh, that he's either figured out a way to prolong his life or resurrect himself, or he's going to be appearing in some other capacity. Yeah, I think that I think that's pretty clear in one way, shape, or form. Uh, maybe he's found a little loophole in the in the uh, force sensitive system there to to kind of make his way, whether he's learned it all from Darth Plagueis the Wise or not. But uh, and I, I'm excited to find out what that all revolves around. And if it's really true, if this is a little bit of a memory around what we saw would look like the shell of the Death Star or whatever, it's going to be fascinating to find out once we get to December for sure. Right. And and we will get into that a little bit later in this show that in the sense that um, there is kind of a basis for the idea of a Sith being able to attach themselves to a particular place or an object after their death. Again, a lot of that is in Legends, and I'm sure, Tom, you're familiar with some of that. I know mm -hmm. you were... Also one that kept up with the expanded universe uh, when that came out. So, uh, again, we'll we'll jump into that a little bit later, but there's certainly a basis within the Star Wars lore for uh, ways that he could be reappearing in this upcoming film. And we've seen since Lucasfilm has been taken over by Disney and they've uh, changed what has been... Uh, the expanded universe into legends and what is now canon that they've, you know, you mentioned this a little bit ago, Robin, they're not afraid to venture into some of those legends and pull and pick and choose what they like and what they can use and move in, into different ways in their story. Some of the more popular stuff, some of the stuff that they think fits within uh, canon. So it will be interesting to see if any of these uh, do come to fruition. Yeah. And I'm actually very happy that they did that. Um, my feeling with the expanded universe and, and the material that's now legends is always that there was a lot of really good stories that they were telling there. And I certainly can understand the need for them to hit the reset button prior to Force Awakens. Uh, there were a number of uh, key characters that were no longer around as a result of the storylines that took place. Um, and they, they needed those characters in order to carry the story forward. But it is really a positive thing in my mind that they're able to kind of pull some of the really key items and some of the really key characters 
forward from those legend stories and and put them back in canon right and some of the expanded universe stuff also got a little uh, convoluted it, you know it contradicted itself in some ways uh timelines were mixed up a little bit uh so they really needed to kind of get a rein on that and then they can kind of tell the story how they believe it and still have it out there you can still read that stuff still enjoy it but just know it's not necessarily canon it's a legend it's still good stuff yeah, and there's always a kernel of truth in every legend. So uh, from the time of the Phantom Menace, the events of the Phantom Menace, and we won't really go in depth into any of the information from those films. Um, there are a couple of points that we'll touch on, um, but the assumption is going to be that you know people listening are going to have seen those films, and I, I don't think we really need to beat them to death here. But uh, during the period of time between the Phantom Menace and the Revenge of the Sith, there were some kind of key events that took place that uh, Palpatine was involved in. And some of these were things that you had actually seen hints of uh, in the films, but others were kind of going in, uh, going on behind the scenes and, and you wouldn't really know about them unless you were reading some of the other materials or watching some of the animated series. Probably the most um, important thing to, to know about that time period is that really every major event in that period be it you know the events of the Phantom Menace, the Clone Wars, uh, everything really leading up to his coronation uh, and being given the emergency powers and eventually taking over as uh, emperor, he was manipulating not just one side of those events, but both sides. He was creating scenarios and manipulating both sides to achieve his his ends. Um, and it really highlights what a what a master strategist he was, uh, but also a master manipulator. Yeah, he was really the puppet master, pulling the strings on both ends of it, uh, kind of with a different persona for both sides. One is, uh, of course, uh, Chancellor Palpatine and originally Senator Palpatine, and then the other side is Darth Sidious. Uh, but then we also saw, and we've discussed this on our show, that uh, that many times he would have this plan going in motion, and he foresaw it going one way, and then something would happen, and we'd make it take a left turn or a right turn. And but he was also a master of adaptation to be able to shift with what happened around him and still create uh, the eventual outcome that he desired. Yeah, I think it actually was, uh, you could certainly assume it's one of his force abilities. Uh, I know that when Luke, during the events of the Empire Strikes Back, had placed himself deeply in, into the force as he was doing his exercises with Yoda, and he was seeing that his friends were in Cloud City and in danger and in pain. Uh, and Yoda talked talk to him about the fact that always in motion is the future, mm -hmm. you know, hard to see. But Palpatine seemed to have a real uh, knack for being able to kind of winnow out which probabilities were most likely and kind of have plans in place for those things. And like you said, even when he didn't have a plan, he always was able to turn that around to his advantage. Um, and I think that's actually going to play a pretty big role. I'd, I'd be surprised if they don't leverage some of that. That, um, in regards to whatever story they're going to tell within the rise of uh, Skywalker as far as Palpatine goes. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me at all. I think it's it, it really plays a part into who he was as a character and who he may still currently be. We don't know as a character. Interesting. <laughs> uh, one, one of the items that I did want to touch on that we have just recently discovered was something that was going on even before the events of Revenge of the Sith and um, even some of the later animated series where these characters actually started to show up. But 
Uh, Palpatine, during this period of time after he'd kind of secured his position of power within the Republic as the Supreme Chancellor um, and leading up to the founding of the Empire, had in secret started a foundation called the Inquisitorius, um, also known as the Order of the Inquisitors. And if you're curious who these um, particular inquisitors would be, uh, probably the most familiar to folks who are, uh, you know, regulars at the Disney parks would be the seventh sister that they Mm -hmm. had included in the Jedi training trials of the temple, uh, where the kids basically get a chance to face up against Darth Vader and uh, some of the other members. And the seventh sister was brought in as was one of those um, villains that you might face off against. But these were all uh, Jedi who had fallen to the dark side at some point. Um, I think we're led to believe that this was mostly something that was happening during the Clone Wars. And certainly anyone who's familiar with the Clone Wars would have seen a few Jedi uh, turn to the dark side. But uh, the Grand Inquisitor, who was the person that led up this particular organization, was actually one of the Jedi Temple Guards uh, who had fallen to the dark side. And then the other Inquisitors, we haven't really had all of them uh, revealed to us who they were initially, but these were a group that Palpatine was grooming to be uh, the hunters and eliminators of any Jedi who survived Order 66 when the time actually came for him to uh, initiate that. So once again, he's always looking into the future, anticipating what his needs are going to be and planning now for things that are still yet to come. Right. And always, you know, even though there was always the rule of two with the Sith, there were always these branches out there on the dark side that they would kind of use to their advantage. Uh, you know, maybe they felt at one point they would earn enough respect, uh, earn enough, uh, you know, appeal to be called up and be taken as the official apprentice. But either way, they were trying to fulfill their role on the dark side of the force. Yeah. And I, again, knowing Palpatine uh, and Darth Sidious, you know, his alter alter ego or alternate persona, um, again, manipulation was such a huge part of how he controlled those around him. And I'm sure that he was dangling those types of things in front of them. But for him, the distinction was always, you know, the, the rule of two applied to just the Sith Lords, right? A master and an apprentice. And in his mind, these were never people who were going to be able to truly become full Sith. Um, mm-hmm. In most cases, they had been raised since infancy in the Jedi Order. And even with their fighting style, um, and I, I plan on doing an entire episode on the Inquisitors because it's a really interesting organization. But even the way they fought was very much based in their Jedi past and they were very much defensive and, and they kind of had to have it beaten into them to be more offensive in, in the way that they attacked as opposed to a Sith who's literally going to just be channeling rage, hate and fear uh, into everything they do and be very aggressive. Yeah. I think we would see that quite often. If you watch the clone wars and a little bit of rebels that they appeared in as well, uh, that they often weren't the most boisterous, the most aggressive of the fighters out there. Uh, they were always around. They were always looming, but they were never really – you never really felt that they were the true threat when, when they were out there. But they were always a presence for sure. Yeah. Um, the other thing with with Chief uh, Palpatine is that in his role as Darth Sidious, he felt like he needed to have that apprentice to carry on the Sith tradition in the in the uh, event that he, anything were to happen and he were to fall. But he starts out with Darth Maul, who was very much a strong, aggressive, combat oriented Sith, and we've talked about this in previous shows, both here and on Hyperion, uh, that. 
I don't know that uh, Darth Maul was ever really expected to be a long-term solution. I think it was what he felt like he needed at that time. I think we're both in agreement that Maul died far sooner than he expected, or he thought that he died Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, far sooner than expected. But, uh, you know, after that point, and once he had identified that Anakin Skywalker was kind of his long-term goal. He still moved on to uh, Darth Tyrannus or Count Dooku, as he was more commonly known. And it really seemed like that entire period of time, it was just about what he needed at that time. He needed someone who was going to be able to run the Separatist. He needed someone who was going to be able to carry on that role as an apprentice. But again, I don't think that there was ever any commitment to him as a long-term uh, plan or that he ever really expected that he would take on that role as, as the true Lord of the Sith and uh, you know kill Sidious. Yeah, I think if, I, if you look at both those two apprentices as you go through them, they were perfect for their time, which I, I know you, the, you've you mostly stated so far. I mean, Darth Maul was this aggressive, violent uh, fighter first, and that's kind of what he was looking for, uh, Sidious uh, Palpatine, when he was originally trying to do this. They were trying to force this war to kind of move this thing in the right direction really early on and get him installed as the chancellor. Uh, when that kind of failed and, and he thought that Maul had gone in a way he did, but they thought he would gone. Then he needed something different. It was an adaptation to the attack uh, process that they were going through, how they were going to make this happen. They needed to have all these systems rise up against the Republic. So they needed somebody who was more distinguished, more of a veteran, people that, uh, something that people would respect, uh, you know, someone who uh, has some political uh, flair to him. And that definitely was what, Count Dooku had, and he, you know, he may have not had the fighting skills of, say, Maul, but he was a talented fighter, but really talented uh, in the uh, political realm. Yeah, and he had the connections with all of the, you know, the banking guild and the mm-hmm. mining guild, and had that background and the wealth and the power that was necessary in order for him to really be seen as a viable leader of the separatist movement. I think had there not been someone like Count Dooku, um, it would have he would have been uh, Sidious would have been far more at risk of being found out with his plan. Right, and he had the title. He is a count. I mean, come on, you're going to listen to the count when he comes. Um, the one thing that has kind of always, it's always been something that's been discussed and I don't know that anyone has ever come to a final determination on this, but right at the end of Revenge of the Sith, um, you've got the situation where Anakin has been defeated by Obi-Wan. He's lying there on Mustafar, um, you know, on, on Death's doorstep. Uh, Palpatine shows up there. He's, you know, determined that, that Anakin's at risk or Darth Vader is, you know, is in danger. He shows up, he takes Anakin, puts him in a life support capsule uh, to take him back to Coruscant, and he needs time to, uh, you know, create a life support system in the armor uh, that eventually is used to encase Darth Vader and and allow him to carry on. Uh, But at the same time, you've got Padme, uh, who has been taken by Obi-Wan um, and is in the process of giving birth to the twins. And as the medical droid says, you know, all of her readings are, are fine, but we're still losing her. 
to me, it it can really go one of two ways, and I and I lean towards Sidious primarily because as a manipulator. Um, you can almost see it on his face when he tells Anakin uh, that in his anger he killed her. It seems to me to be implied that during this period of time, he is actually siphoning off Padme's life force to keep Vader alive until he can be encased in that armor. Yeah, I, I've heard you mention that before. And I, I, I mean, I guess I'd like to believe that more than I believe like she's just lo- lost the will to live because that always found seemed very ridiculous to me and hard to believe from somebody who was supposed to be as strong as a queen, as a senator, as uh, Padme Amidala. But it's it's really hard, especially considering that, uh, you know, she wasn't out there with uh, Palpatine or at least didn't seem to know that there were children for Skywalker that would be born. Um, that it, it just it's hard for me to put those two things together. Now, maybe that'll come out eventually that that is true. And I know you've uh, read some things and seen some things where you think that that's a possibility. I, I just don't believe that necessary. I, I, and I just know from what the way George went through these prequels and where they scuffled a lot of times. And I think that he just wanted to steer on too much on the right side of everything is good. And it's like, well, this is so that the relationship is ended. So she doesn't want to leave and live anymore. It just doesn't make sense to me, but that's kind of the, what I kind of got gauged out of it. But uh, I, I do think it's an interesting theory for sure. Yeah, it just, I mean, to me, um, Sidious seems to be very confident in the fact that she has died. And I don't think that it's too much of a risk to him for her to remain alive after he has trapped Anakin into becoming Darth Vader. Um, it's certainly possible uh, with Anakin and Padme and their connection and their relationship that it could have been Anakin uh, in his pain and, and fear and anger uh, that he somehow inadvertently caused her death. But it's just something about the way that uh, that Palpatine looks at him. Uh, as he's telling him and kind of gauging his reaction and watching the rage as he, you know, crushes the medical droid and rips off the restraints and pulls himself up from the, you know, the table that he had been worked on on. It, it could also have been that he didn't really know, but he was saying this, that he believed this, and that either way, uh, Padme was going to have to go into hiding and he would find somebody to go hunt her down and kill her. And as far as uh, as Anakin, as Darth Vader would have known, he, she would have been gone. True. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to me. It's just one of those areas of the films that um, never really gets directly addressed. I know that there's all kinds of theories out there. I, I'm just like you. I have our time believing it's anything as simple as, you know, dying of a broken heart. Yeah. Um, she always seemed like she was made of sterner stuff than that. So uh, I would hope so anyway. But yeah. again, we've also saw her fall in love with a person for who shot out many many red flags as we talked about in our last episode where we looked at attack of the clones uh right. so many red flags out there that you know maybe george just didn't see that part of it and just said this is the easiest way to do this without having uh there be you know so many you know that anakin killed her or you know i, I guess it's just not as simple as dying in childbirth which would have been an easy way to go on with it too right Completely agree. Um, so after the events of the Revenge of the Sith, um, and we kind of move on to that period of time after the foundation of the First Galactic Empire, uh, you know, Sidious has now consolidated power. He is free to no longer have to put on this facade of being uh, Chief Palpatine. He can kind of just revel in the in the malevolent, evil character that he truly is at heart. 
And it's a, a period of time that really doesn't get covered a lot because what you end up having happen is everyone is aware of the fact, you know, he, he makes the announcement that the Jedi have turned against them and he's been, yeah, they tried to assassinate him and he's been disfigured, I guess, for lack of better, mm-hmm. better word, uh, by the, by the assassination attempt of the Jedi. Uh, and he kind of withdraws from all public facing engagements. He he becomes very reclusive. He's got Vader to carry out his will. He has Governor Tarkin mm-hmm. uh, to carry out a lot of his military stratagems. And he has uh, an Imperial Council that is also in charge of running most of the, the day-to-day affairs of his empire. So he can just kind of sit behind the scenes and plot and plan and put stratagems into motion. Um, and it, it's to the point where, you know, the citizens start to notice that he is no longer appearing and, and there's a lot of question in the minds of the populace of whether he actually had survived the, the assassination attempt after all. But clearly during that period of time, they've already started working on the Death Star. Um, his long-term plan is that he wants the Death Star to be the thing that really cements his rule throughout the galaxy. But he is forced into a situation where he still needs to leave the Senate in place um, for approximately about 20 years, which is the amount of time it took to complete the Death Star, to keep the various systems in line and to kind of, uh, you know, keep there from being any revolts or uprisings. Mm-hmm. And that really turns into kind of one of the unspoken things that you never you never really hear about in any of the films. The rebels defeat the Death Star at the Battle of Yavin. Luke fires those proton tor- torpedoes down the exhaust port. Um, blows it up, you know, Vader goes spinning off into space and they never really talk about the emperor's reaction to all that. But this was probably the most uh, dangerous period of time for the empire because again, they've disbanded the Senate. Uh, The death star was supposed to be what was keeping the systems in line, uh, you know, under the control of the various moths. And all of a sudden the death star is no more. Yeah, and we don't know what the emperor was doing during that time. Like you said, he was kind of a recluse. Uh, he may have been trying to research some other things. He may have just decided, look, I'm I'm in my I'm comfortable in my place. I can do my things. I'll let my people uh, rule over the galaxy, and I'm fine. But then once the first Death Star falls, he realizes, you know, things aren't going the way I had put in place. Things aren't going exactly right. I need to take a bigger role in this. And that's why you start seeing him within uh, Empire Strikes Back and, of course, uh, Return of the Jedi. Correct. It's generally considered that what he was doing during that time as he kind of withdrew from the eyes of the public was that he was really starting to try to delve into uh, how he might be able to extend his life, ideally indefinitely. And that, again, is going to, I think, tie into our discussion with the mm-hmm. the whole um, return of him within the Rise of Skywalker in some way, shape, or form. Because he may not have, at the time of Revenge of the Sith, uh, uncovered all the mysteries of, of Plagueis in terms of how to extend his life. But he was very much interested in, he wanted the Galactic Empire to, to rule for all time, and he wanted himself at the head of that. So he was very much dedicated to trying to figure out a way to avoid his own death. And as you know, I mentioned at the beginning, um, by the time you get to the Battle of Yavin, he's at about 84 years old. He's a human male. Uh, even with his force sensitivity, there may be some ways that he could extend his life, but certainly not to the degree that he had intended. So 
I'm hoping that at some point they start bringing more of that back into canon to really kind of reveal what he was up to during those years. Yeah, I I wouldn't shock me. We were starting to we we talked about this just recently. Actually, it was last week when we were talking about the Mandalorian and uh, some of the other shows that are coming out uh, for Disney Plus and such. It's interesting that they're delving into some uh, parts of the timeline that haven't been really explored within the animated series or the films themselves. So it will be kind of nice to see if they delve into some of the stuff that was going on at that same kind of periods that we don't have a lot of information on, especially canon information. Yeah, I certainly with the Disney Plus streaming service and and what it looks like they're doing with the Mandalorian, I'm I'm sure the Cassie and Andor series is going to be uh, just as good. There's so much material for them to draw from and so many kind of alleyways that they have not explored down that uh, I don't think there's going to be any shortage of content for Star Wars. Now, it's like I, I say it every week. It's a great time to be alive as a Star Wars fan. Indeed. So the other uh, item, the, the other kind of focus that he had post the Battle of Yavin and leading up to the Battle of Endor was obviously the construction of the second Death Star. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it took him 20 years to build the first Death Star. And uh, certainly we're talking a much shorter period of time between the Battle of Yavin uh, and the Battle of Endor. So uh they were pressing hard to get that Death Star completed. Um, I'm sure he was also engaged in uh, laying the groundwork for the the rebels getting a hold of those plans so that he could lure them into the trap to crush the rebellion and, uh, you know, get his hands on Luke Skywalker, who, mm-hmm. again, he's got Darth Vader, who at that time was the you know strongest force sensitive that he had he had come across other than himself. But with the injuries that he sustained and the fact that he was more machine than man, uh, the fact that there's another Skywalker that exists that, that is full flesh and blood, well, minus a hand, um, (laughs) seems to run in the family. Yes. Um, and still had that, you know, that vaunted Skywalker blood and was younger. I mean, mm-hmm. Palpatine, once again, looking for for the youngest, strongest apprentice he could get his hands on. Um, that seemed to be another huge piece of what was occupying his time during those years. Yeah, younger, didn't have to spend his time when he wasn't in the suit in a back to tank uh, all the time, just trying to heal his wounds constantly, keep himself together. Uh, definitely something that he needed and obviously something that uh, Palpatine assumed like i'm going to live much 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 longer i need a younger apprentice to be in this role next to me to keep me going for that many more years yeah absolutely uh one interesting thing uh post battle of andor and as we kind of get into that sequel era um something that i had not been aware of until recently was that during the force awakens in the scene where ray has the vision after she touches the skywalker lightsaber in maz's castle uh, and during the specific scene where, you know, she is kind of there watching Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren destroying Luke's academy, just as Kylo Ren impales the warrior that's headed toward the viewpoint that Ray's looking at it from, you can actually hear Palpatine's voice in the background saying, any Jedi? Mm. And apparently that came from uh, his line to Anakin during Revenge of the Sith, as he tells him that, you know, only through Palpatine can he become more powerful than any Jedi. So this is not the first time in the sequel in the sequel trilogy that we have actually had Palpatine show up in some way, shape, or form. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I know there was so much thrown into that scene. I mean, you could pick through it numerous times and pick out little bits and pieces of information just out of that part. And what does that mean? Why is that here? What is that scene? What What are we seeing here? Um, 
but I, I don't think I've ever picked that part out. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't noticed it. Um, certainly not the audible portion of it. Uh, and I know that one of the ways that you can kind of pick up on a lot of things that are going on there is to turn on subtitles, but this is one of the snippets that didn't even show up in the subtitles. It wasn't until, uh, the novelization came out, uh, that this became apparent. So interesting stuff. Yeah. yeah just another little tidbit. Right. So, that kind of takes us to the conversation about the return of Palpatine and how that may come about within the rise of Skywalker. Um, and it really kind of all ties back to while the Jedi following their death have the ability to, you know, with the appropriate training, have the ability to merge with the force and still maintain an identity within the force uh, and coming, coming back as the blue glowies. Uh, force mm-hmm. ghosts, whatever you want to call them. The blue glow, this, glowies, I like that. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, this, Would he be a red glowy? Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> the Sith, you'd expect him to be red. But um, that was never really the way that they uh, approached the Sith. They didn't have that ability to merge with the Force. But what they did have the ability to do, and again, this is within Legends, so we will see if this comes uh, back into play with current canon, but the methodology that they had to either transfer themselves into another body or into an object or link themselves to a location was called essence transfer. Mm. And uh, we did see this with Palpatine specifically. Um, following the events of the Battle of Endor, there was a series of comics called Dark Empire that came out. And what happened was um, Palpatine had actually created clones. And following his death, he uh, used the essence transfer to transfer himself into one of those clones and was able to then live on through that clone. And because he had so many of them, uh, when Luke went to confront him, Palpatine revealed to Luke that I have all these clones. Uh, If you kill me, I'll just transfer myself into another one. And that was actually enough to cause Luke to despair to the point where he fell to the dark side Mm. um, for a brief period of time. Mm. So there was uh, an example of a scenario within Legends that kind of dealt with Palpatine living on past the Battle of Endor and then kind of reemerging to to take over the Empire again. In addition, uh, within some of the other Star Wars legacy novels, you do come across scenarios where certain locations have the spirits of Sith Lords that uh, died and, and had their spirit linked to that particular location, again, through some form of essence transfer, uh, Exar Kun and, you know, a number of other uh, Sith Lords. So the question then becomes, is it going to be a scenario where Palpatine had clones Hmm. and was able to transfer his essence? Is it going to be something, and I think, Tom, you had mentioned this a little bit earlier, you know, you see Rey and, um, you know, all the heroes of the film looking out across the ocean at the, the ruins of the Death Star. And the question is, are they going to encounter his spirit somehow tied to those ruins? Um, or, you know, it could be a force vision. It could be any number of things. Do you have any thoughts on what you think maybe the most likely would be? Um, interesting. You know, I, I, I kind of wonder if it's going to be something because we, we were just mentioning the lightsaber scene where Ray touches the lightsaber and she sees all these things go through her mind. Uh, and I wonder if it's going to be something similar along those lines that maybe that is something where she's extra force sensitive that she can touch certain certain items and whatever the presence that was within them, the force 
uh, sensitivity that is within them kind of transfers to her and she see flashes and I wonder if maybe she'll go over and the, you know, as we saw in the trailer it looked like that was the shell of the Death Star 2 uh, that maybe she touches a part of it or touches his throne or does something and then maybe she sees something along those lines or hears something and then it also you know it may not even be her you know, we assume that maybe that she's hearing this but it could be uh, could be Kylo Ren, Ben Solo it, it could be uh, a, a ton of different things. I was also interested when you're talking about the clone thing. The one thing that is in canon, because it was on Star Wars Battlefront 2, the video game, mm-hmm. they have one storyline in there that's with Eden Versio, uh, and who was with Inferno Squad. She turns over, begins fighting with the rebels at one point. Uh, but right after the fall of the Death Star, when uh, Palpatine uh, is of you know supposedly passes away. They are sent off to Imperial Star Destroyers, some droids that basically contain a message from Palpatine. You wish to see me, sir? Approach. The Emperor is dead. This messenger's presence is a great honor, one I choose to share with my daughter. Operation Cinder is to begin at once. Resistance, rebellion, defiance. These are concepts that cannot be allowed to persist. You are but one of many tools by which these ideas shall be burned away. Heed my messenger. Now, is that a real message that he recorded? Like, you know, if you're seeing this, I'm dead. Or is that something where he's using some of his energy to put that in? They never really explained that in the video game itself, but that is a canon storyline. So something interesting to add into the situation. Yeah, I'm not surprised you you uh, brought that up. I actually had a note about that as well. I played Battlefront. Um, they the the actual beings, I guess, if you want to call them that, uh, were the Sentinels, and mm-hmm. really, it looked. I'm sure it was some form of uh, artificial, you know, artificial life form, um, a droid or some such. And essentially, the face it looked to me like a hollow projector. But I, mm-hmm. I get what you're saying. It could just as easily have been, you know, he's alive and projecting uh, his image through them um but yeah he called on the remaining imperials to put into into effect what he called operation cinder um Mm -hmm. which was essentially his revenge uh against the survivors of the battle of endor and he wanted to scour those rebellious worlds including his home planet of naboo and um basically just rain destruction on them in retaliation for uh killing him so certainly there is yet another example of of how he kind of lived on past when when we all assumed he was dead um the other thing that kind of popped into my head as as we were having this discussion and I'm surprised I didn't think about it earlier is that he could easily have recorded uh, a Sith holocron mm-hmm. um with his teachings and that uh and that could be one of the artifacts that either Rey or Kylo or you know whoever um 
comes across that, uh, assuming they have the ability to unlock that, that could certainly be another way that he could show up in the rise of Skywalker. Yeah. So much to speculate on. There's so many different possibilities out there. It's going to be a fun, uh, several months here as we count down to December, uh, trying to figure it all out until we finally get to see it on the screen. Awesome. Yeah. And if any of the folks out there listening, if you have any ideas, uh, theories, other, additional information that you want to discuss regarding uh, Chief Palpatine, uh, a.k.a. Darth Sidious, please feel free to reach out to us um, on social media or via email. And we'll give you that contact information at the end of the show. Um, really, that's going to wrap it up for the Palpatine portion of today's show. I did want to hit on a couple of uh, news items uh, that came across the Holonet this week and specifically today. Uh, Tom was the first one to to give me a shout out regarding this as he got his <laughs> notification um, as they're going to be staying there at Disneyland uh, in one of the on-site hotels. So they're going to get that guaranteed four-hour window, which we weren't really sure how long it was going to be that they were going to open this window for. Um, but it certainly looks like the folks staying at one of those on-site uh, Disneyland-owned hotels, either the uh, Paradise Pier, uh, Disneyland Hotel, or the Grand Californian, out at Disneyland, um, if you have a reservation anytime from May 31st to June 23rd, uh, you should have already gotten an email uh, with that reservation time. It's going to be for a four-hour period. If you received an email earlier in the day, um, pay careful attention because that first email you got probably had an error in it. I know, Tom, you ran across this issue. Yeah, uh, my my first – I was really excited when I first saw it. I'm like, oh, okay, well, we got our reservation for uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. It's going to be on Saturday, June 1st at 8 a.m. to noon. I'm like, great, okay, we're getting there that day. It seems a little weird that that's the first day we're getting there and it's first thing in the morning, but I don't care. I kind of like that. I, that and, so, and then I scrolled down through the email more and I look at my reservation because they also have the hotel reservation listed on there. And it had us checking in on the 31st and checking out on the 1st. And when I made the reservation, I made it for the 1st and the 2nd because we didn't want to have to fight. If it, We didn't know when they were going to schedule these reservations. We didn't want to try and figure out Friday if they booked it on Friday, trying to battle uh, Southern California traffic to get up there in time to make this reservation. So we just decided to make it for the weekend. So then I looked on my reservation online and, back, and yes, it was still the right way. It was still the 1st to the 2nd. So I, I knew that there was a problem. Tried to make some phone calls. They had all sorts of issues you couldn't get through. Uh, then I started noticing, I checked out some boards online. There were others having the same problem. So somewhere along the line, they messed up, shifted everything by 24 hours. There were some people that were receiving notices that the reservation was for the 30th of May when Star Wars Galaxies wasn't even going to be open that day. Uh, so, you know, obviously it became clear uh, pretty uh, early on that there was just a problem with the reservation system and it took them maybe like four or five hours. They finally sent another email saying, oh, we've corrected it. Here's the real time. And so uh, they corrected it. We're going on Sunday, 8 a.m. to noon. It just shifted by 24 hours. Yep. So definitely make sure that if you got that email check, you should have a follow-up email uh, with the correct date and time. So uh, don't panic. I know that it was all over social media, over a number of the boards. And uh, if you did get one of those emails stating that you were going to be getting access to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge on the 30th, you did not get early access. Um, <laughs> you're going to have to calm yourselves. 
but yeah, it's it's going to be a great opportunity. I think it's really cool that they're given a four-hour window. Uh, mm-hmm. It should be plenty of time to get in there and experience the land. For guests that are going to be there and have a valid ticket, you're going to be able to uh, start booking your res- reservation or your window starting on May 2nd of 2019. Uh, I believe the time that was given was 10 a.m. Um, Pacific time. time. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, definitely. No, go ahead. Yeah, it looked like there was also something in there, and I, I was trying to read through it and trying to understand it, and I'm sure more details will come out as we get uh, over the next two weeks as we get closer to it. But it looked like there was something at 8 a.m. Pacific time that's like going to be some instructions going out for it, and then 10 a.m. is when the reservation is going to actually open up. I don't know if there's going to be some other things as far as different memberships, as far as annual pass holders, DVC members, uh, whatever, D23 uh, members. Uh, you keep an eye out for that if you're members of any of those two, because there could be something that comes along with that as well. Right. And so this is going to be for any guests that are going to be visiting the parks from the 31st of May uh, up until the 23rd of June that are not staying at a Disney-owned resort um, out there at Disneyland. Uh, just make sure that you're aware of when those when those times are and get in there. Make sure you have your uh, Disneyland account created so that you're going to be able to get in there and make that reservation online. It's the only uh, it's the from what I could tell, it was the only way you're going to be able to make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that, that, I, that, that they've announced right now. Who knows right. what else will happen? But uh, that what they've announced so far. That's it. Correct. And uh, the other thing that I want to point out, I know that we mentioned this before, but I don't think it can be overstated. Um, Hopefully it helps somebody. But keep in mind that when this land opens out at Disneyland and when the land opens at Walt Disney World uh, coming on August 29th, that you are aware that the Rise of the Resistance attraction is not going to be open. Uh, There's going to be a phase one opening that should be everything other than Rise of the Resistance open and operating. Um, But that Rise of the Resistance is going to be coming online at some point later. We will make sure that we put it out there when that information becomes available. And please make sure that you are paying attention to, uh, you know, when we look at these dates and, and where the land's opening, I would just be terrible to have someone show up at Walt Disney World on May 31st thinking you're getting into Star Wars right. Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. Gonna have a bit of a wait. Yes, make sure you know which park we're, we're talking about, Bambi Attack. But all you have to know is by August 29th, they'll be open on both coasts. Exactly. So, uh, Tom, again, I'm, I'm super excited for you. I cannot wait to hear all about it. Um, uh, I'll be following your Instagram. I'm sure it's going to be all over there. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, again, do you want to go ahead and give the, the listeners your information for your podcast and how they can reach you? Absolutely. Thank you, Rob. Uh, you can find us. We're the Hyperion Adventures podcast. We talk about all things Disney. We also talk about Star Wars, obviously, Marvel. Uh, we talk about uh, tips for your vacation, how to make your trips to the Walt Disney World Resort, the Disneyland Resort, uh, a little bit smoother, Disney Cruise Line, Run Disney. We talk about it all. And you can find us pretty much anywhere you find podcasts, but especially on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud as well. We have our own website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. And we have a lot of fun on social media as well. You can find us on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast and on Facebook and Instagram at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. Yeah, and definitely make sure you go out there and give Hyperion a listen. Uh, They've been doing a series on Star Wars Remembered that I've been guesting on. 
where we kind of go film by film and we're doing them in a chronological order within the Star Wars universe. So starting with Phantom Menace and uh, Attack of the Clones, we already have in the books. And we'll be doing a, an episode each month uh, leading up to the release of The Rise of Skywalker. So please go out there, give it a listen and give them a like, um, give them a review. And if you would please tell a friend, uh, kind of spread the word via word of mouth and get them some extra listeners. So uh, for us, if you want to reach us at Jedi Temple Archives podcast, you can do so at jtapodcast at gmail.com and on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at JTA podcast. And you can find this podcast pretty much any of the locations that Tom mentioned for theirs. Uh, we are on pretty much every major platform. If if you like to listen to your podcast on a platform and can't find us, drop us a line and we will make sure that gets added. So, Tom, thank you once again for coming on and spending your evening with us. Great time. Thanks again for having me, Rob. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, for the rest of you, thanks for tuning in. We look forward to talking to you next week and may the force be with you. 